0: friends would you please pray with me gracious god we thank you for this good opportunity help us do something good with it in your name we pray amen how many of you did some traveling over thanksgiving we went somewhere we got in a car visited family got on an airplane none of you everybody stayed home the lees were the only odd family out understand okay all right. Well, I like to think of myself as a pretty savvy traveler, especially when it comes to airlines. I am that person, when you get to the airport, I'm, I'm taking the shoes off. Everything's out of the pockets. We are not, I am not holding up the line. I am not doing that. And I'm the one who gives the stink eye to the people that don't follow the directions and hold up the line and make everybody miserable. So I am on top of it when I travel. Um, but it wasn't always that way. It took me a while to get there. Now when I travel, I don't know if most of you know this about me, but I am an introvert. And in general, introverts do not like, (laughs) yeah, I know you're thinking that can't possibly, right? Introverts do not like being in large crowds of people where they have to expend energy talking with them. And so actually the airlines recently did a study about this. And did you know that introverts overwhelmingly will choose the window seat? Because we do not, we don't want to talk to anyone. Um, and then extroverts always choose the aisle, so it's extroverts and tall people out on the aisle. And then um, the people in the center—they're the ones who registered late. So <laughs> that's how that's how travel works. But before all that, before all that, I I learned how to stop people from talking to me. I stopped bringing really popular novels on planes, because you do that, and inevitably somebody sees it, and they're like, oh, I read that, I, I want to read that. So instead, what I would do is I'd get a book off my, my shelf, of my theological library, something like Sin, What Is It, and Why You're Doing It Wrong. And, and you take that on an airplane, right? You take that on an airplane, and all of a sudden, nobody wants to talk to you, and it's pretty... It's a pretty awesome way to go about it. But, um, but like I said, I wasn't always this travel savvy. And years ago, this is when I, when I had just gotten married and I had just become a pastor, I, I was booking an airline ticket online. Do any of you book airline tickets online? Every once in a while, you get, the, you get this drop-down menu, and it, it lets you pick your title, right? So you can pick Mr., Mrs., Dr., and some places have reverend on there. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So since Sung wasn't traveling with me and I knew that he, he would never know about this, I picked reverend. Um, and, and you may be thinking, gosh, Hope, that's, that's a lot of time that you spent analyzing that and thinking about it. But I was so excited to, to be reverent until I realized that they were not asking this for statistical purposes, but instead they were going to print it on everything I had. They put it on my baggage claim, my, my flight ticket, everything. And I realized what a huge mistake this was the second that I got to the airport and I talked to that first ticket agent. I, I see here that you are Reverend Lee. Yeah? really? You, you look kind of young to, to be a reverend. And, and you know, the great thing about airports is that people think that other people are deaf. So they just talk as, just talk as loudly as they want to talk, and they just assume that you can't hear them. So the people behind me in line start up this conversation. Did she say re- reverend? Did she say you, you don 't see a lot of women doing that kind of thing these these days, and then I got to hear about it when I went through the checkpoint at TSA and then when I got on the plane itself. But the worst, the worst part was when I got to my seat and this is another thing that i 've changed about how I travel you know when, when you travel and you get on you get on the, the jetway right, and you start rearranging all of your luggage because you don 't want to be that person that stands in the middle of the plane holding up everybody while you rummage through your bags, trying to stick your stuff in the overhead. So I'm, I'm good at that. And, and I, I pull out my book, and and I am still somebody, even to this very day, who I have to fly with a paper ticket. I do, not, I do not trust technology enough to be there to have it on my phone. So I fly with a paper ticket, and I always do the same thing. I, t- I stick the paper ticket into my book. And um, so I go down the row, and and I would throw the book on the seat really, really quick while I throw my bag in the overhead compartment. And the problem with that, the reason that you cannot do that, is that it gives the person in the seat next to you just enough time to notice what you've got, who you are, what you're interested in, without looking nosy, right? So so I do this, and there's this young man seated next to me, and he is, he is just fascinated. When he saw reverend, he decided, I need to talk to her for the entire flight. <laughs> we, we need to talk about everything. So he starts, in, and, and just so you know, when, when you're a reverend, this can go one of two ways. They're either going to talk to you the whole time, or they're just going to pretend like they don't see you. But he decided, let's talk about this. So he goes, well, what kind of reverend are you? And how big is your church? Don't see very many reverends your age. How come you don't wear that thing around, around your neck? Are you, are you allowed to be married? Why did you choose ministry? So he spends the better part of 45 minutes interrogating everything that he needs to know about me. And I realized at some point he's going somewhere with this. He's got some kind of agenda. And finally, finally, he got to the point in the conversation where he felt comfortable enough to drop this question so like do you do weddings and stuff (laughs) and and i said yeah as a matter of fact i'm on my way to do one now and and then here it comes awesome because my girlfriend and i are thinking about getting married next year we don't know any of you people you people (laughs) right so can you give me your card and and i'll call you up well all of a sudden that was the moment that that was the moment when i had this great appreciation for for doctors who don't start off with hi i'm doctor so and so because once you do that right once somebody has a title on you it changes the lens of how they see you and it changes every conversation you're going to have with them after that the words reverend or doctor esquire or cpa immediately invites you to start interrogating these people about all kinds of things that that they are experts about but it also colors the picture that you have of them right that's why you never see a pastor drinking in Bradenton we have to go all the way down to Sarasota right (laughs) It's, it's true it's it's true so so what do you do what would you do what would you do if the title of the person sitting next to you on a plane was king what kind of image would you get in your mind if you sat down and someone said hello i'm king so-and-so well immediately immediately you're thinking royal robes they've got a golden crown if they're completely ostentatious they've got one of those mighty mighty scepters and even though we don't have a monarchy here in the United States, we are well aware of how kings and queens are regarded all over the world. We're obsessed with the royal family. I don't know what Prince Harry is going to do, but the news this morning says there might be an announcement coming, so you might miss it this morning. But we treat them differently because of that title, and we see them differently. Now, as Pastor Sung told you, this is Christ the King Sunday, and the problem for us as, as people of faith is that that's not really the image that we have of, of Jesus. We get this visual image of Jesus Christ in our minds and what we, what we see are not the beautiful flowing robes and, and the crown. What we see is the crown of thorns. And, and we see the white linen cloths and, we, and the Birkenstock sandals, right? That's what we, that's what we see, when, when we picture Jesus. And because of that, I, I think that that's why so many of us have a really hard time perceiving Jesus as the king, as the king of our lives, the king of everything. Instead, what we see is we see a good role model, a good moral leader, He's somebody that, that, yeah, it's probably a good idea to imitate, but not as king not as someone who is ruler of all, including our lives and what we do with ourselves. And I think what's what's really interesting now, especially as as you look at culture and pop culture, is that the word king conjures up images of oppression, of abuse of power, of pain and, and subjection. And the thing about that is that Jesus not only doesn't match our costume, image of what a king is supposed to look like. He doesn't match the image that we perceive kings to act like. He doesn't have that oppressive nature to him as we see in some kinds of royalty around the world. And because so many of us cannot bring ourselves to use the word king to approach Jesus, we can't imagine that he is the ruler of all. So, we're unwilling to subject ourselves or to change our lives according to his ultimate authority. There used to be this expression well, who died and made him king? What we're asking, what we want to know is by what authority? What is it that makes Jesus so special that he needs to be designated as royalty? Well, Colossians, Paul's letter to the people of Colossae, responds to this question. And this is what he writes he's, he's outlining the case. For why Jesus is the king, why he is in charge. Paul writes, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and earth were created, things visible and invisible. And then catch this little part right here. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all of those, all of them have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Now, Paul didn't just make this up. He didn't just write this down looking for some extra words to go into his book. It all comes right out of the beginning of the Gospel of John. And this is the time of year when we really look at the Gospel of John. It says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're talking about Jesus here. Jesus is the Word And he was there in the beginning and we forget that we forget that because we tend to think chronologically about things so of course we say the old testament comes before the new testament jesus wasn't in the old testament so jesus wasn't there but he was and all things came into being through him and without him without jesus nothing came into being so we wouldn't have the royal family we wouldn't have all these kings and queens if jesus wasn't there because he holds creation together this is the this is the attribute of a ruler a king and paul goes on to write he is the head of the body the church so make no mistake about it jesus is in charge of what happens in this place he is in charge of his people there is no one above him he was in the beginning the firstborn from the dead so that he might have first place in everything when you watch a marathon, right? And, and we just had that that huge the, the New York City marathon. <clears throat> Did you notice that when the first runner crossed the line, it was an American, it was an American woman, it was the first time in a long time that an American won this. She crossed the finish line and she got to go through the tape. Remember the tape at the end of a at the end of a race? Guess what happened to the lady that came in second? There was no tape. There's, there's no tape because only the first person through gets to break the tape. So when scripture says that he is first place in everything, it means that nobody, there was nobody that came before him. Without Christ, without the resurrection of Christ, there's no need for the church. That's why Christ is the beginning and the head of the church. Because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then all of us are victims of the greatest religious hoax in all of history. Because his resurrection from the dead is what gives us hope. Hope that there is a life to come beyond what we have in this moment. And so Jesus' death and resurrection is what the Christian church is founded upon. Without Jesus, there is no church. There is no church. So he is first. This is his kingdom and he is the king. But Paul is still not finished. Still not finished with his case for the supremacy of Christ. He says, for in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's, that's important. Because what that means is that Jesus is not baby God. He's not second God. The fullness of God was in Jesus Christ. And he was pleased to reconcile himself with all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross you've got some heavy theology in just a very few lines of scripture. He is speaking, Paul is speaking of God incarnate. That's what Christmas is, God with us. He is, Jesus is God manifest in humanity and that sets him apart from you and I and so many great role models and moral leaders. None of them, none of them came to be God in the flesh. So our broken relationship with God might be restored. Nobody else has ever done that for us. Now, you've heard that in scripture before, presented another way, you just might not realize it. It's in John chapter 14. Jesus is talking to Peter and Thomas before his death. And they're so concerned about where Jesus is going and how it is that they're gonna get there. And Jesus replies, he says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Now, you take that at face value and you're like, wow, that's a pretty arrogant thing to say. Even for a king, that's pretty arrogant. But here's how it breaks down. He, Jesus, is the way to the Father because only he has the intimate knowledge of God unmarred by sin. Everyone else does. He is the truth because he has this perfect power of making life one coherent experience irrespective of our ups and downs. He is the life because he was not subject to death, but made it subject to him. He overcame death. For these reasons, Jesus is the only way to reach the Father. And that's the theological premise for Jesus being the only mediator for us towards God since he is the only revelation of God to humanity. He is the way, the truth, the life, and the King titles matter they matter for better or worse because they are going to shape your initial impression of someone i love when people meet me as hope not as reverend lee because once you do that once you have it's like watching a train wreck you can't unsee that so once you have that title of someone your impression of them is going to always have that running in the back of their operating system. So this Sunday, the title that Jesus has that we're focused on is king. You may not like that term. It may seem patriarchal or archaic to you. It may even be out of the realm of your reality since that's not how we operate in this country. And the idea of somebody ruling over you might just rub you the wrong way. But I want you to remember this. Jesus is not just any king. He is not just any ruler. He's not just anyone who wants to be lord over your life. This is the Jesus who went and sat at the well with the adulteress. The same Jesus who loved to be with the homeless, those who were riddled with disease, imprisoned, cast out by society. The same Jesus who forgave tax collectors and thieves. The same Jesus who was willing to die you. Nowhere, nowhere in that did he come to oppress you, to make your life miserable, to make your burden heavier. That is not who he is. He came to lift you up, to level your playing field, to treat you, to treat you like you were royalty. So if you're going to have a king, he is exactly the king that you'd want to have. And if we're kingdom people, which we say is the church that we are, there has to be a ruler and that needs to be Jesus Christ because no one will ever be able to do for you what he has done. For that reason, he is not just another guy on the street. He's not just a great moral leader or role model, not just a historical novelty. He is Jesus Christ. He is the king. And knowing who he is in your life will help you to be strong, with all of the strength that comes from his glorious power, and you will be prepared to endure everything with patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in his inheritance as the saints in light. Let's pray together. Lord God, we confess that the idea of somebody ruling over us just rubs us the wrong way. We don't want anybody telling us what to do and where to be and how to behave. We just don't like it. But you have given us an extraordinary gift in Jesus Christ. You have given us a king who operates from a place of love and redemption and forgiveness. You have given us a king who wants something better for us, not to oppress us or keep us down. So Lord, if we're gonna be kingdom people, Help us to acknowledge the king of our lives. In your name we pray, amen.